So I think I can guess what Russ's takes are going to be today. Oh. Go I, ahead, sport. Take I guessing. Guess? I think he's going to one. Um, for well, let's, let's go by sport. We're going to talk about three different sports today, football, basketball, hockey. So I will say for the Eagles, he's penciling them in the Super Bowl and celebrating the demise of the Cowboys while whilst ignoring the other three turning out to be really good teams in the NFC. Suddenly positive Russ, his second take. <laughs> I will say for the Flyers, he is somewhat neutral because though down on him for not a lot of scoring output lately, it's it's not in his blood to go too hard on the Flyers, but he'll key on like one person because that's what Flyers fans do. They're able to not criticize the team as a whole or the organization as a whole, but one individual likely an older defenseman and forget reverse forget drive russ is in neutral take three (laughs) and three coming in hot about joel Embiid. coming in hot those are just my guesses i have no prior knowledge i wasn't reading i wasn't too up on the slack this weekend so Embiid is in park russ your takes (laughs) i'd say kyle i'd say you're you're like no to the first maybe half to the second and I don't know about the third. Ooh. Spot on, aren't I? Spot on. No, because the, I, you I'm may have been sure. reading my hot take for Embiid. So Uh-oh. like, my, oh, oh, okay. Um, Not really hot. He looked like shit. Yeah. Maybe I should have been more yeah, general. Maybe you're just gonna bash the Sixers. Let me first start off right, by pull, saying, I, let's hold that as a tease. What? Let's let's do our okay, sponsor. Okay. Then. Get it? No. Okay. Cozy, cozy, cozy. It's like a sweater on your hands. But it's shiny, and it's made with diamonds. And if you give it to your girlfriend, she might make Appreciate you feel you. cozy all the time. Yeah. By cozy. the fireside. Cozy. They should let us record that and just make it the jingle. Um, right, so that was us trying to do it. Kyle, how do you actually do it? Well, cozy, it, it is getting cold out, so uh, cozy Burr. is aptly named. But it's also November 13th. Uh, Jeez, the holidays are, are quickly upon us. Damn it. We got Thanksgiving in like a week. So I want to tell you about our friends at Cozy Jewelers uh, in Newtown Square in the Edgemont Shopping Center. Family owned and operated. Uh, truly, truly quality products. Uh, They're a certified Mavado watch dealer. All sorts of diamond uh, engagement rings if you need that. But also any sort of jewelry that you might want to get a significant other this holiday season. They're having 20% off Black Friday sale. But if you go in any time between now and Black Friday and mention Crossing Broad or Crossing Broadcast, you'll get 20% off anything in the store. Obviously not including engagement rings. Um, that, but I lost my spot. But if you are planning on getting engaged, then you will get five hundred dollars off a custom engagement ring by mentioning Crossing Broad or the Crossing Broadcast. The guys at Russ has brought this up before. They have a four point nine on Google reviews, either a four point nine or five on Yelp, with plenty of large sample size. Um, like I said, family owned and operated, fans of the show, fans of the podcast. Uh, they will they will set you up. If you need a custom ring made, go in there. They will walk you through the process. There's a lot to know. We've heard from listeners and readers who have tweeted us and said we've used them in the past. Absolutely excellent. Almost never get feedback like that on a sponsor. So if you're shopping for jewelry at all in any capacity this holiday season, and especially if you don't want to trudge downtown during the holiday season to go to Jewelers Row, 
then Cozy Jewelers, super accessible uh, in the Edgemont Shopping Center in Newtown Square. You can get to it from 476. Obviously, Route 3, not too far of a drive off the Turnpike or 95, shooting up 476. Uh, you're pretty much like 25 minutes from like half of the, the PA Western suburbs. Well worth checking out. Um, so our thanks again to Cozy Jewelers for sponsoring the podcast. Oh, and also uh, Anthony Sanfilippo's Flyers content on the website. Cozy Jewelers, it's getting cold. Get more ice. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. It's pretty good, actually. And speaking of ice, here's Russ on the Flyers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, people got upset that we didn't really mention the uh, the win over the Blackhawks and on Friday. And by people, he means one person on Twitter. Uh-oh. You just enraged Flyers Twitter. No, be there was there was literally only one person on Twitter that tweeted us okay, about about not enough Flyers coverage. All right, that's fair. Uh, so on Saturday night, the Flyers welcomed the Wild, and um, it was a really boring game. And eventually, it it resulted in the Flyers being shut out for the fourth time this season. That's uh, for those keeping track at home. They've played seventeen games. They've been shut out four times. That's nearly a quarter of their games. It's almost like they're missing, like I wrote, I think first two years ago, an entire second scoring line. It's almost no, like that's the case. The problem that, that they're running into is they, they had injuries. And then Haxtell, no, Andrew McDonald hasn't been playing, dweeb. Uh, I was kidding. He's, he's, he's been out, well, yeah. Uh, he's been out for, for quite a while. I think he still has a few more weeks on uh, on the injury list. But they, they just look ridiculously top heavy after spending the entire preseason and even the probably what the first two weeks of the season where they looked like they had a well-balanced team third line looked a little bit weird but like they had a great fourth line uh, like a, a fourth line of guys who actually knew what to do with a puck they weren't just but looking it, to drop the gloves but it's almost like they don't the have a second scoring line it's almost you know what like saying? what like, you're describing is them not having a second but scoring the first line. two weeks of the season they had scoring coming from three lines and and now it's just like the whole thing's evaporated it, it, yeah, like, in a sense, of course, you're never going to have, like, a, another Malkin or a Crosby, but I think a lot of this comes down to Nolan Patrick still being out. And Patrick was doing a great job as a center, and, you know, it, it kind of threw the, the roster in flux. Uh, I mean, look, if, if coming into the season you were going to tell me that, uh, you know, they were going to lose Nolan Patrick early and they were going to rely on him as much as they had been, like, Yori Laterra had 11 minutes on ice, which is pretty much, I think, what you would expect. So did Dale Weiss. Um, Jordan Wheel's not getting a whole lot of ice time, and, and there's a thought that, you know, he probably has earned more at this point. Couturier led the team with 24 minutes, uh, followed very closely by Giroux at 23 and Voracek at 22. I'm very intrigued what that tells by me, the... What, what that tells me is that top line was, I guess, running a bunch of double shifts, especially at the end of a game where you would expect them to be out there they're also your top power play unit and and uh couturier is on your penalty kill there's just a lot that was weird the, the only positive i took away say, from that I, game can strong couturier real or fake he's in real. terms of a of a number one scoring center well it's not that he's a scoring center it's he's a legitimate number one center right now because he's allowing Giroux and voracek to play to their strengths which is being playmakers but then also being able to you know, he can now crash the net almost in the role that Simmons did last year, but he can do it from the center position. Like, it works. Mm-hmm. We've always wondered if he has the offensive ability to be a top-line center. It's always been thought that he's, you know, this great shutdown center, but nothing more, nothing less. 
and he's proven that that with the right guys on the wings, he can definitely be a top-line center. He's never going to be what Giroux was four years ago. He's never going to be Crosby. He's not going to be Ovechkin. Like, he's a totally different kind of player. But his style of game really does benefit the other two. The only positive I took out of the game was Brian Elliott had maybe his best game of the season. He uh, had 26 saves on 27 shots. Unfortunately, obviously, that means he let one in. And because the Flyers got shut out again, that was the one that broke them. It was just a weird game. It wasn't a very enjoyable one to watch, to be honest. It was kind of disappointing. This was Saturday? Yeah, it was Saturday night. Yeah, I was too focused on the big show, Sixers at Warriors. And see, that's like a problem that I, like, it, it sucks in a sense because you're not going to expect this, the Flyers to, to out get, you know, more coverage or more eyes than the Sixers, but they had a, a good opportunity as a lead-in. We knew they had an hour and a half from the start of their game to the Sixers game, and you would hope that, that they would have, you know, put on the show that they did against Chicago where they went out and scored three in the first against Minnesota, and they didn't. I mean, they yeah. they just, it's like, they didn't do themselves any favors. Where did you guys app. watch the Sixers? Oh, what do you got, Kyle? Oh, I was, I was going to say my app, real quick, the Flyers, like, there's always going to be a subset of Flyers fans, and this, I go back, like, you probably won't believe this, Rice, but going back to me in high school, like, Kyle was Flyers fanboy. Like, like borderline took off on trade deadline day when they got, I think, Dan McGillis. Like, those years, right? Um, I thought you were talking about your son when you said Kyle. No, Cause, no. Because, honestly, I, who talks in the third person? Rusher doesn't. Did I talk in the third person? I thought you said Kyle. I might, you know what? I might have. Oh, been high hearing... school Kyle. Well, high oh, school I'm Kyle's sorry. a different person. Right, than that me. is different. I didn't hear the high school part. <laughs> Believe me, high school Kyle is significantly oh, wait, maybe, different. Or was it Scott that was just leading into this? Anyway, go ahead. That may have been Scott, actually. Thank you. Freaking Scott. Thank you. Sit over here. You're good. Thanks. Um, He's with you? Yeah, yeah, he lives with me. Yeah. He does. Um, but I was like big Flyers fanboy. And at, at that time, and there's been like a lot made of this, but like late '90s were the Flyers, early 2000s were the Eagles, late 2000, early early 2010s were the Phillies, and now we're entering into the Sixers phase. I feel like, but the Flyers were really cool, like amongst not only just the hardcore Flyers fans, but they were the team in the city for a few years simply by virtue of they were really good and nobody else really was. I. That mantle has, like, fully gone to the Sixers now. Like, when, when I – not that I leave my house that much, and you could probably better answer this for us, but, like, see a ton of Sixers jerseys everywhere on high school – like, middle school and high school age kids. A ton of them. And I see more Ben Simmons than Joel Embiid. I, I'm intrigued by that because Embiid – this was, like, even before the season started, I would say that was the case. I don't know. Recency I just feel bias. like – I feel like the Flyers are just – they're – you know, they, they can be a top team – in the city in terms of like, I don't know about top team, but they can generate a ton of interest. But right now I just feel like for the next few years in the younger generation, it's going to be like full on Sixers. Uh, go ahead, Adam. Where do we watch the game? Was it your question? Yeah, what'd you guys do for the game? Because it was kind of, it kind of felt like a big deal for me. Really? Yeah, because it was like Sixers and it's Embiid and Simmons at Golden State. Like, I was... Prime time Saturday. Yeah. Where, let me guess. Bar. No, I actually at the office. I was. I I went to Bleacher Ooh. Report with. Uh, I haven't mm. seen. Um, I, I think it was a high school friend, my man Athy McNasty. I haven't seen like fourteen years, and he lives in Brooklyn. So he came up and we went to the office. Uh, and yeah, I mean the office is different because I have like rose on tap, um, which was pretty dope. And uh, dude, that first <laughs> half was incredible. I was 
I was yeah. going to pop champagne. It was going to be insane. How have you never invited Rice and I to the office? Because you live down. <laughs> I don't even know where y'all live. We, we are like a train ride away. We are a train So you're telling me you come up? All this, Adam doesn't want to come down. You guys would come up? This is the thing about living in New York. Everyone's like, oh, I got to get up there soon. I got to I gotta come to New York. And I go, come whenever you want. And then like the next time I see them, they're like, oh, I got to come up there soon. I go, motherfucker, you told me that last time. The invitation the is, is always open. The thing is, New York's very easy to get to, but like it's a psychological thing. If you're... If you're, you know, not in a, if you're in the suburbs or not in the city, like the idea of going into New York is like an adventure. Not that it's hard to get there, but it's just like, ugh, do I really want to go through? Like, do I really want to trudge through? Well, and not only that, I also think this: you guys both have wives, and you both have kids. So the opportunity to just like, I have a good friend Dan that he comes up one like or, or like one Saturday in February. And we watch college basketball, and that we've been able to do that. But he's got two girls. So, like, I know how hard it is. But at the right. same point, the invitation is always open. So, I uh, Sixers, though, what did you guys think overall? Because I have a lot of questions about Embiid. I watched a game on we had BYO Italian dinner plans. Uh, and I, I thought when we made them – it was an enjoyable time to dinner. It was very good. Uh, but I thought when we made them, the game was at 10. I realized like two days before it was at 8.30. So me and um, uh, Mike, who's a friend of wife's friend, we uh, little YouTube TV on the iPhone 7 Plus on the table. We weren't above that. So we watched Man. most of the first half the that way. Plus. The 7 Plus. The, the X is on its way. It did you, did you and your friend ago. sit next to each other and then the two wives sit next to each other? No, so it was a it was a, it was a little uh, rectangular table coming out of the wall. So they were on the inside, we were on the outside. So I pos- it was a small table. So mm. I positioned the phone on the edge, facing inwards, um, kind of like top down, like in the position. Um, yeah, like top down, looking okay. at the table. So we got most of the first half. Um, we're cheering. I mean, this is like a small BYOB, and we were occasionally cheering. I think when uh, I think Reddick hit one three, we let out a little yelp, and we finished it. At a speakeasy in Doylestown, which is absolutely outstanding. Uh, we caught Ooh. the fourth quarter there, and it was uh, that was pretty dreadful. So the bourbon was kicking in by then, and we were good to go. My brother might be moving to Doylestown, so I'll hit that up with you if he makes the move. It is there is a place uh, not to get too off track. There's a little like there's a you know like Chelsea. It is like the smallest version of Chelsea Market you can imagine. Like picture gotcha. Chelsea Market if it only had ten places, and in there is. A terrific pizza place. Fan of the website and show who runs it, Spuntino. There's Ooh, also Spuntino. one in Northern Liberties. Fantastic wood wood brick brick oven. Don't and be too complimentary. They're not a sponsor yet. No, but it's really good. Good point. Uh, good point. That's true. <laughs> there's two cocktail bars owned by the same owner. There's one upstairs in the back, and then there's another one downstairs. Dram and Barrel, speakeasy style, very dark. Um, the Untouchables playing on the TV. Nice. And uh, yeah, they, yeah, they they sell it. It's they want people to come up from the city to go there. Like they want to get like the hardcore speakeasy vibe. It's pretty new. Highly recommended. I don't want to tell people about it because you know, know. we don't want well, we don't did. want the popo onto us. You know. Uh, so the thing that I kept experiencing that the first half of the Sixers game, I was like, oh my god, I was like, Javale McGee is like scoring a lot and blah blah blah. But then like for the Sixers, like Justin Anderson had like multiple shots Ben Simmons was like accidentally making hook shots that were actually passes um, he claims it wasn't I, I suppose so um, but there's one of the guy there's this guy at Bleacher Report that we always talk gambling stuff 
And he has told me that the one bet that he has made every single game this year is Warriors third quarter. And we're in halftime and I'm, I'm taking my guy on a tour of the rest of the office. And I say, you know, my friend, you know, always bets Warriors third quarter. And then to come back and watch the Sixers get absolutely throttled in the third. I mean, it was... It was it was embarrassing because it kind of felt like the Sixers like I had gotten my hopes up, and then like the the Warriors like oh oh no 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 that's what we always do, but I was getting so excited at how impressed the Warriors announcers were because I wasn't I was watching the the Direct TV feed which was the Warriors, and there was multiple times in the first half where the Warriors announcers were like and and you know. <laughs> This Sixers team is actually pretty good. And I'd turn to my friend, I'd be like, they watch the Warriors every game. They're impressed. And <laughs> but it all just evaporated like so fucking quickly. And I'll just be honest, Embiid doesn't look like he has any bounce right now. He doesn't look athletic. He never goes into the paint. He's always on the outside. He's always settling for bad shots. And he looks like 15 to 20 pounds out of shape. And that's just what I saw at Embiid on Saturday night. I'm not hot take guy and being like, Embiid's not going to be great. He can be great. I just, some, like, he just doesn't look in shape and he doesn't look like he's actually like, running the offense looks like he's just sitting at the top of the key and all of his moves take like three minutes to start it's like he's he's winding up like everything is like you know the best of Hakeem Olajuwon it's like dude you don't need to get like the whole shimmy shake every fucking time that's just that is my hot Hakeem Olajuwon slash Joel Embiid take that is hot Russell it's steamy over here um so Are you going to not... dance on my grave because I predict the Sixers could win one of the next Warrior games? By the way, people, and I will say two of them, tweeted me and said it was unfair what Russ did to you by simply suggesting that the Sixers could take a game against the Warriors, considering as though I think they only lost by single digits the last few years. Yeah, yeah well, part I of thought that... it was rude, to hey, be honest. You know, I, 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 keep com- I keep coming back to the fact that like in some of those games, there were certain players that were rested by the Warriors because the Sixers were such a joke at the time. And now so, they're not. And, well, I mean, they didn't have Iguodala in that game, which could have made it even worse for the Sixers. But um, Justin Anderson, you pointed out, uh, Anderson's actually having a good season for the Sixers right now, shooting just under 47% on left elbow threes and 67% from the left <laughs> corner. So, like, he's he's actually... He's, Thank God, man, because you know what? Sometimes he lines up on the right elbow, and I'm like, dude, have you checked your percentage on the left? And <laughs> it's just a laugher. You're making fun of you, Russ. I know. It's <laughs> Thanks, Look, he's he's uh, settled into his own, which is nice. Like He's a An- nice, Anderson's- like, 10th man. Anderson, for, as a guy who was traded in with a, uh, a fake first-round pick for Nerland's Noel, has turned out to be not that bad of a get for the Sixers. So kudos to him on not being total garbage. Um, yeah, Joel's Joel's a, a little bit a little bit upsetting to watch. Uh, we brought this up, I think, what was it, a, two three games ago when he missed that wide open dunk, and then yes, had to, you know spawn spawn the play. And the point at that point was. He doesn't look like he has the bounce. He doesn't look athletic. You wonder if that meniscus surgery that Sixers doctors somehow always seem to uh, botch 
you know, if, if that really is affecting him. He did say that he's, I think he's like up to like 280, 285, and he wanted to get down to, I think, 265 or 270, Camarado uh, reported. He's, he's out of shape. It comes back again to what happened over the summer. Like, I, I still am wondering, did he shut himself down because of a contract? Did he shut himself down because the knee was bad? You know, following the meniscus, you know, surgery and, and rehab, what was the complication? Because for him to come in as overweight as he is and then to not look, you know, when you're coming off of surgery, especially as a big guy, you don't want to be at your all-time highest weight. I mean, it, it doesn't do any good on that foot. It doesn't do any good on your knees. And he just doesn't look right. I think part of the, the issue that we're also running into is we now have a legitimate team where, like, last year when Joel was doing his thing, he was surrounded by, like, Nick Stauskas and guys of that ilk. And Joel was so by far the best player on the floor that you just kind of had to fall in love with everything he did on the court. You didn't mind him taking a while to load up a post move because it was awesome to see him out on the court. But now, you know, things have changed. Adam's sliding scale. You're you're watching Ben Simmons look like a, like a fifth-year vet, you know, goofing around and getting triple doubles. Uh, and by the way, Lonzo Ball getting all the love for getting his first triple. All right, home, before, we know, we'll him, before we get off him, before we get off him. No, I'm, I'm saying, okay. on, no, I'm, I'm saying like when you've got Ben Simmons, you've got Redick, you have other guys now that, that look like a cohesive and, and, you know, respectable team. I think it does change expectations and it changes the way that we view the way that Joel is playing. It's not like all of his explosiveness is gone. He's had a few of those moments where he's gone in for, you know, the one-handed tomahawk jam. Uh, he made one, I think, like the second game of the season, and then he missed one a couple games ago as well. There is some explosiveness, but I don't know if it's just he's winded. I don't know if it's the knee, but it is alarming. Uh, uh, it I doesn't think, look good. I think part of it, you know, like, look, anyone coming off a of surgery, I'm always amazed in sports. Like, we just assume. Because um, of Madden. I've always yeah, believed much. video games, like as soon as there isn't an ambulance or like a red cross next to their name, they <laughs> play true. full strength. Yeah. And so that's how we approach it. Yeah, we always assume they're coming back from injury and they're fine. But what we forget is is really like muscle tone and conditioning. And depending on the injury, you know, I always look at guys who get like, you know, upper body injuries, shoulder injuries, arm injuries, whatever it is. And then they come back, and you're like, oh, well, they're, they're not as good. Well, yeah, they're not as strong because whatever their weight program was before, bench pressing, push-ups, you know, like shoulder presses, you know, all these things that you, you need to be successful in sports, they probably haven't been doing or have been doing very, you know, cautiously. So for Embiid to be coming off a knee thing that the Sixers were over, overly cautious about, I, I'm sure Embiid and his people were also overly cautious about it. Who is more responsible for – let's call it over-babying it until the day after he signed his contract. I don't know. Uh, it Probably a little bit of both. I don't think we're ever going to get an exact answer on that because each side's going to have a different version and swear it was all part of protocol. We're never going to get a real story. But there's definitely a little bit of that going on. So you figure here's a guy who's kind of – he's a big guy. He's prone to put on weight anyway at that size. He hasn't been able to condition himself as hard as he – would typically need to so yeah he's a little overweight he's a little bit slower I don't think that is difficult to um you know to change over the course of a season over the course of a few months but I think the problem is is that this might just be what we always have with Embiid and like that's the like 
that's the thing that's hard to swallow. The Sixers I would probably like acknowledge this too. Like just from the outside looking in. Ben Simmons, he gets his foot injury, right? He come he's yeah, he takes a whole year off for, you know, who God knows what reason, probably just not to push it, right? But he's clearly fine. Like he's like every other NBA athlete. They get an injury, they heal, and he's in top physical shape. His body can be put through the ringer a little bit. Like he's not full on Iverson, but he's he's a true NBA athlete. Embiid is like a special, he's like the Rolls Royce of athletes. Like you could roll, you know, you could roll um, Simmons out there as a reliable BMW. And yet Embiid could be something greater, but like you really have to take care of him and he's not an everyday driver and he probably never will be. And like, that's sort of the problem here because if he, if, if he's always sort of managing some level of injury or something, it's going to be really tough for him to keep his conditioning and all this stuff up. That said, he didn't really hit his stride last year until Jan, you know, December, January. Right. Um, he's played, you know, 40 games in three years. He's only been playing basketball for six years. Like the turnovers will fix themselves. That's a huge problem. I, you know, I'm starting. I'm starting to see hot takes on Twitter about his weight and his explosiveness, and I do think there's something there. And this is why over the summer when we talked about like, hey, do you go out now and get a guy like Lowry when that was a topic? And you know, the answer, you know, in hindsight, who knows with Markel Fultz where we're at. But um, you know, everyone was like, hey, we might only have three years of like peak physical condition Embiid. Like this, if this is Embiid at 20, what four? Imagine Embiid at 31. So like. That, to me, is the concerning part. It's just like we're always managing something with him. And, you know, like, it, I think he's going to be he's going to be really good and he's going to get out of this funk and his conditioning will get better. And, and by, I think by January, we're forgetting all about this. But Man, it I feels like there's so. just always another shoot to drop. It's four years now and there's another shoot to drop. That yeah. said, he's like, he backs into double doubles in most occasions. Yeah, so it's the not, thing, though, is, is... And double teams. Yeah, no no one is afraid. No one is going out for his three-point shooting anymore. You know, that was a thing in yes. that run where he could get people to, like, match up on him. Um, it, it was just truly, like, that was also the first time that I've rooted for, like, I've genuinely rooted for a team playing the Warriors. Usually when I watch the Warriors, I just say, why can't everyone appreciate how amazing they are? I know it's unfair, but they're amazing. But to actually face that was, it was like dehumanizing. Like, it was, it was like, oh, you guys want to play basketball. Oh, and you're trusting a process. Here's what you'll never achieve. Now, I will say this. I really hope that Clay Thompson had a great time because I'd love for him to come over. He really is the piece that I want more than anything. So I hope that, like, the high fives are crisp and he liked the jerseys. And I'll have to look up what Clay Thompson said after the game. Let me look that Everyone up. Everyone else was waxing poetic about them. I thought the same thing. I said to my buddy in the restaurant, I was like, he's going to look so good in a Sixers uniform oh, in two years. Man. So good. I was going to pop. Oh, so I was. I tweeted out and put on Instagram that I was going to pop champagne if the Sixers beat the Warriors. And like the first two responses were the president of Bleacher Report was like, slow down, partner. And they're both Warriors fans. And then... Uh, the founder of Bleacher Report was like, are you at the office? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. All right, let's see if he has any comments. I'm going to look this up. You guys have a tap in the office. I figured that would be acceptable. A tap for Rosé. And a beer. 
Yeah, geez. So Um, let me just really quick. So a couple things. One, anytime you're injured, I think we all know this. Whenever you play a sport, you're injured. You end up start nursing that that injury, and it ends up causing you to change your form, <clears throat> faults, um, and it, it it can also lead you to you know lean on other parts of your body that you really shouldn't be leaning on, and then you end up injuring yourself because you're trying to avoid landing or or messing with what's already a sore or injured area, and that's I think that's the next part of this whole you know, this whole Embiid thing that I'm always going to worry about. When he hits the ground now, I don't worry, which is nice. Like we've oh, I do. Over a, I, I do. I, when he slid he the one floor the yeah. other night, I now, was I've, I've, gotten, <laughs> I've, gotten, I've gotten over that. I don't know why. I think it's because he admitted before that he was flopping a lot last year. So I don't I don't get as nervous. I get more nervous about just the, the ramifications of the way that he's playing and if all that extra weight is going to cause, you know, further nagging injuries. That's um, fair. I, I dropped in the uh, the uh, Slack chat really quick three uh, shot charts. Now, obviously, the people listening can't see them, but they're beautiful. You, trust you, me. But if you look Scott at the says they're beautiful. Uh, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Scott. If uh, if you look at the heat maps of where Joel and Ben have been have been taking most of their shots this season, vast majority of them have have been in in the same kind of areas, right in the paint, uh, elbow or free throw line ish down to the hoop. Uh, obviously, Joel is shooting threes. Dario, conversely, has been, you know, living out by the three-point arc a lot, as has uh, Covington. So those guys have benefited from collapsing a defense. But the problem that I, I keep seeing is Ben and Joel, in a lot of instances, are are in the same place. Like, they want to get to the same spot on the floor. And I think that's part of the issue that, that Joel is finding. And I think it's part of why Joel is venturing so much to out to the three-point arc as much as he is is because Simmons when he's driving in and needs space and I think Joel is intelligent enough of a basketball player to know that once he's he's plowing in like it's time to get out of the way um, I, I think it's still them trying to learn how to play with each other and I think Joel is still I said this last week I think Joel is still kind of living in last year's world where he was shooting I think just under 40 percent from three for a, a good stretch and I think he's just expecting that Ben's going to collapse the D, and then that's going to, you know, give Joel the opportunity to shoot threes. I mean, if if you're going to look at it, I, I guess you know the flip of that, it doesn't make any sense to have Ben, you know, off ball out at the top of the three point arc. Like Kevin dropped something in Slack about you know Joel gets the ball in the post, they send a double team, and Simmons is standing out at the at the top of the arc. Nobody's going to honor that because Ben can't shoot threes. Yeah, I mean, he and that was from the game the other day. Like, literally, Embiid was getting double teamed. And, you know, whenever I see someone get double teamed like that, my eyes go quickly scanning the floor. All right, who's open? And I realized I didn't even think to look at Simmons, who had the ball, because it's usually never the guy with the ball unless it's a center. And it was like, yep. oh, it's Ben Simmons is wide open from a from three-point range. And they just simply didn't cover him. And the second guy was like, all right, well, they're both going to come into the paint, so we're just going to wait here. It's kind of brilliant, but yeah, like, I mean, I, it's, I, I think that's we why can. I've been saying it's important for him to to take and to make those free throw, you know, line jump shots, which he has been doing at a pretty decent clip. And part of that is just because the more you can extend your range, the more that you can have to make a defense stay honest, the more space it creates for Joel under the hoop. So well, like, and this is why, but this is why people I think are so intrigued about the Sixers upside because right now they're a good, you know, they're five hundred right? They are, 
you know, at times a, a good team certainly showed flashes of, of them being great in not a long time. Uh, 538 published an article the other day. Granted, it was based on a lot of, obviously, numbers without a lot of context that I think as Sixers fans we would probably uh, hip-check them on a few of their observations and say maybe they should slow the roll. But the title was something to the effect of the Sixers could be a great team sooner rather than later. I just favorited a post from Alex Kennedy saying uh, Giannis and Ben Simmons are showing that it's possible for players to dominate, dominate in the NBA without a jumper. And I would say, like, yeah, everyone's all over these guys. Neither are on contending teams at the moment. And if, like, so you also drop Ben Simmons' um, heat map in here. He hasn't shot a three. And Embiid, yeah. Embiid, if he takes a three, like, he doesn't need to make 38%. But if he's, like, a 35%, Maybe, you know, maybe I should have a bigger discrepancy there. But if he's able to do a pick and roll and hop out behind a three-point line and keep people honest, he's a totally different player. I think right now he's just shooting them very flat-footed, probably because he's slightly overweight. And even for a big guy who can shoot that with his pinky and get it to the rim, he's still hitting the front of the rim and just not getting enough lift on his shots. Like, that will, will change with his conditioning. But like, He's I always think this taken is, pretty flat-footed threes. He has, fairness. but they, they look really, like... He looks like like Shaq out there when he's his. There's no lower body movement on his threes right now, and they're fine in practice. Like we've all seen the practice videos, but in a game you need that elevation just a little bit because by the end of the game your arms are tired. Like everything's different, but so that will change I think a little bit over time. But you're right. Like they're both in the same general area and they're trying to run like these these high low plays. But you know it doesn't work if you're seven footer seven foot one guy is the high guy like it just it's sort of unbalanced and it's unique but the problem is the seven footer his shooting ability is not there right now and the other guy has no shooting ability at all in Simmons that's why like people and I think we all realize it's going to take two to three years and that's why I was upset with you for quote-unquote criticizing Simmons after four games for not shooting because it's like look he's he's not going to have a reliable jumper especially certainly not a three-pointer at any point this season we might be two years away but in two years if he could develop enough of a three-pointer that guys at least have to cover him out there you know the the early LeBron James three-pointer and he can and he could get a jumper elsewhere on the court like literally his only jumpers right now I'm looking at this heat map are from the elbow but if he could develop a jumper just like somewhere in that second level and Embiid's shot falls a little bit better where he could hit those little like baby baseline jumpers, then they can run all sorts of high-low, pick-and-roll action. Ben Simmons can gain the paint, draw the double, and kick to Embiid, who then either has the option for the little baby jumper or to try and take it in and dunk. Like Those are the things... There's just overlapping skill sets. Kevin's uh, you know been on this since day one of, of the preseason and... Um, and practice is like everyone's skill sets overlapping right now. Like Simmons yep. and Embiid's overlaps where they shoot on the floor. Simmons and Fultz were overlapping. And I think Embiid needs to realize like, yeah, we don't need him quite as much to shoot threes this year because you got guys who could do it at a high clip. But he's got to find he's got to find the balance of playing down low but using his, his guard ability, which I think to will that, come over time if he's healthy. To that point about them having guys who shoot, you know, like obviously it's early in the season, so – you know, these things obviously probably aren't going to work out the same way they are. But right now, J.J. Reddick's not even in the top 40 in the NBA in three-point percentage. Uh, TLC and Bayless are both in the top 40. And Covington is tied for sixth in the in the league for three-point shooting. Um, Reddick, like, a hot take would be saying that Reddick has been a disappointment because he's not knocking down 
a lot of those three-point shots that we expected him to. But I think he's also being asked to play a lot more of an all-around game than he had been in L.A. So Russ, he shoot he's shooting 41% he's done, from three-point range. What stats are you looking at where he's not? That's not doesn't qualify for the top 40? What's he shooting? 41%? He's not in the top 40. Jared Bayless is number 40 at 42%. Is there a, like, shot qualifier on that? It's the league leaders. Yeah, they're qualified. I mean, people people are – he's 48th. JJ's 48th. Would I expect – would I expect, you know, even this early in the season for TLC to be ranked ahead of him? No. But – Regardless, he's shooting forty one percent for three. Guys, I wouldn't call that a disappointment for anybody. No, I'm just I'm saying like I'm surprised, maybe pleasantly surprised that TLC and Bayless are doing as well as they are. Um but yeah, like part of this whole thing with Simmons and with Embiid is understanding that they have plenty of guys at this point, second unit guys, starters, that are knocking down threes, that are decent shooters, and they've got to start utilizing that spacing. But man, the first half of that game was so exciting. They they really did look like they could hang for a while. And then, you know, it's the Warriors pull the Warriors. They did exactly what you would expect them to do. Do I think that Philly's going to come out and look better at home? Yeah. Are they going to win? No. They'll probably still lose between, like, 8 and 12 points. But they'll make it interesting for a while. Like, there's no doubt about that. But, obviously, like, this kind of shows us once again that, like, our team's not close to competing. But they are a good team. They they have all the components there. Fultz comes back and looks anything like the player that he was drafted to be. They're going to be fine. You just can't expect them to compete with the Warriors. They can't just pull an Eagles and sit there while everything improves around them. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I gotta go. I hope you guys have fun. See Love you. Bye, Sorry, that was that was that was a buzzkill. I was gonna tell you that we had a new iTunes reviews. There it is. Worldwide yeah. genocide. You got one, or you got? Can you read one? Yeah. Um, somebody left a three-star review and told us to keep the politics out of the podcast, so I don't think that guy's ever listened to us. Means you, Trump. Uh, yeah. Uh, Come somebody, on, Russ, you missed the mark. No, I'm not doing it. So somebody goes, uh, five stars, need a new third host. Kyle and Adam are great. Russ sounds like a whiny fanboy. A poor man's, <laughs> Ed, Rend- a poor man's Ed Rendell voice of the fan. Other than that, enjoyable listen. He didn't mention Scott, though. Scott has to be offended. Um, last one, uh, JRCZW, the only Philly sports podcast, five stars. This is a threes company for the modern Philly sports fan. Just switch out the Regal Beagle for Kyle's mom's basement and Suzanne Summers for Russell Joy. And otherwise, it's exactly the same. Adam even looks like a young Mr. Fairley. And every episode seems to revolve around an easily resolved misunderstanding. But for real, these (laughs) guys are great knowledgeable and funny with great chemistry these three have their fingers on the pulse of philadelphia sports scene sometimes kyle's finger slides slight slowly up gabe kapler's arm and gently caresses his bicep vein but that's mm. the price of doing business must listen whether you're a one day. for four or four for four or even if you care about the union for some reason give this pod a chance you won't regret it so thanks for those five star reviews no thanks to that three star review yeah suck at three star guy Yo, can I just say really quick before I go, uh, <laughs> since you're going to talk about football. It's like clockwork. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, man, the Cowboys without Zeke. That's I'm The only reason that I'm excited right now is because I have Dak in both of my fantasy leagues. and uh, I wouldn't be excited about that. Yeah, he just got now, you 12 points. No, I'm fine. Because I think, Tyron Smith was out and Chaz Green had his Winston Justice game. Dude, I'm totally looking forward to Dak becoming the leading rusher for that team. My leagues are so skewed. 
when it comes to rushing yards by a quarterback that I think I think I'm going to do just fine. Well, all right, bye. I, think, I think I can speak for all the listeners, Russ, when I say, you know, your fantasy team is our number one concern. Oh, I was hoping he was going to pop on. He leaves with that. I love it. Um, the Cowboys did get brutalized yesterday. Brutalized, which makes for them to lose, the the Washington to lose, and um, the Giants to go to <laughs> San Francisco and give them their first win. I was ex- I was expecting McAdoo to be fired this morning. Uh, it still might happen. I just thought they it's were plenty of time. It's there. not even seven a.m. Yeah, they right. got to get the media in there. I'll give it like nine. I give it an eight forty announcement with a nine thirty press conference. Yeah, I, I need a I need a shefty bomb, but um, what that wasn't was even close. It didn't wind up even being close. That right? was it was an amazing weekend for thirty one twenty one. Yeah, oh yeah, it was it was close, and then the Niners had a huge touchdown by Marquise Goodwin, and then it was just. Whose wow, child he, died yesterday. Ugh, 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 horrible. It's just, you know, C.J. Beathard hasn't shown anything all year, and Eli showed less than him yesterday. Like, that's the bullshit about Eli. It's like, it's not like the team stinks. Like, he can't make a throw either. And, like, come on. It's, it's wild. Anyway, it was a great weekend for the NFC East. It was not a great weekend for home field advantage. Vikings looked really good against Washington. The Saints obviously looked really good uh, in Buffalo. That was just a beatdown. And as I've been saying, those two teams are for real. And then the Rams get a beatdown. So three teams with two losses all get the win. Uh, And it's just one of those things where, look, the Eagles, they have one loss, but they play at the Rams. The Seahawks game has gotten a lot easier now that Richard Sherman uh, is out uh, and some other guys are banged up for the Seahawks. That's huge. But, you know, there's only a one-game gap for home field advantage right now at the Eagles, but it definitely made it a lot more comfortable. And as bad as the Cowboys looked, I don't know if Tyron Smith is going to be out uh, we've been talking about Tyron Smith being banged up on Sims Lefko for about three weeks, saying that he hasn't been able to bend as much because of a back injury. But that shows you if he's not there, that offensive line is in a whole world of mess. And that looks like if Adrian Claiborne can get six sacks, he has only had more than six sacks in one season one time before this. Imagine what Brandon Graham or Vinnie Curry would do on that side. Uh, or my favorite player, Derek Barnett, who I loved coming out of the draft. Um, so I, I want to <laughs> uh, – I didn't even catch that because I was looking at the scores. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not even sure what team to start with here, but I yeah. think – Start with the like East. yesterday was yeah yeah yesterday was another one of those weeks. It feels like we've had a lot now. Where the Eagles they played Thursday night, then they played Monday night, and then right. now they were off Sunday, and it's like they didn't play, and everyone around them in a the division crumpled. Uh, like of the last seven weeks, I think f- oh, like with the like five of them, the Eagles have had significant gains in the division. That doesn't mean that you know the Cowboys have obviously strung together a few wins, but like for a few weeks there, everyone lost and the Eagles won, and then. You know, just everything has been turning up Eagles all it's season long. We've talked about this. coming together. And it's it's excellent 
that the fact that they can they can squeeze the life out of the Cowboys before Thanksgiving. No joke. This isn't a few years ago where they have that Thanksgiving beatdown. I don't think they had a four-game lead at that point by any stretch. Yep. Like, they'll have a four-game lead with the first win in hand. It's almost impossible. Zeke for the- is officially suspended and in another country training to clear his mind. For four games, on December 1st, he's going to get a hearing. So he it might not be the full six. Might not be. Um, just worth pointing out. Either way, the Eagles point, can— they should just take it. Yeah, I agree. They should have taken it at the beginning of the season, and then maybe they'd have they wouldn't. Yeah. They'd be in a better spot if he was just back now. Um, certainly for for at least one of the two Eagles games. But you can end the Cowboys. The Giants and Redskins are obviously done. Like the division is one game away from the taking, and now we got to turn our our things like you said, the home field advantage. And I feel like I tweeted yesterday Saints and Rams, and I had a few people respond like, "Oh, Nagadelphia, there we go again." And it's like, look, no, this isn't being negative at all. Like, this is we've. I'm turning our sights past the division. The Eagles should should kill the Cowboys next week. They had line troubles yesterday. Even if they get that righted, like their their offense, which is so good with Zeke, is clearly Kyle, completely different. Kyle, let you me, need you me, need to add Minnesota to that list, though. All right, well, saying. let me tell you why I'm, I'm not. Okay, but I hear I hear you. But so, like, I'm not being negative. I'm turning. I'm saying, okay, division's probably ours here. Let's just move on to home field, like not even a buy, legitimate home field advantage. These are these are the Saints scores over the last five or six weeks, <clears throat> forty-seven to ten against on the road against Buffalo. That is impressive. Thirty to ten against the Bucks. Twenty twelve against the Bears. Nothing to write home about. Twenty six seventeen against the Packers. Fifty two thirty eight against the Lions. Twenty to nothing against the Dolphins. Thirty four to thirteen at the Panthers. Which oh by the way is probably the Eagles' second biggest win of the year. Um, the Saints did the exact same thing, maybe even more impressively. And what you have to go back to a Patriots game in the end of September that they lost. They lost to the Vikings and Patriots in back-to-back weeks. Those are the only two losses. That team, everyone, and whenever you bring up the Saints, and I know you've done this too, whenever you bring up the Saints, people say, all right, well, it's just important that we get home field advantage. We don't have to play them. We won't even have to worry about them. And They're if we do, it'll, good. It'll, be on our home, it'll be on our home field. They scored six rushing touchdowns yesterday. They have two legitimate cornerbacks. Like, this is not... This is not the Drew Brees, Peyton, Saints team that we all think of. Like, Will Brinson tweeted from NFL Next Gen yesterday, Saints are averaging more than 30 carries a game, most since their Super Bowl season in 2009, when they averaged 29.3. Then he put charts of Mark Ingram and Kamara's runs. Ingram runs exclusively, like exclusively, between the tackles. Like, there's one run where you could say he probably ran around the end. Kamara is the complete opposite. Like, his run chart looks like the Hydra. The two of them are the perfect—I th- honest to God think the Saints looked at the Falcons last year, saw how much success they had with the two-headed running back, switching from a full-on, pa- like, Matt Ryan-driven, Julio Jones-driven passing attack to a more balanced team that did away with that perception of just mm-hmm. chucking the ball on a dome, Right. You now have a team that is built to win on the road. To go up to Buffalo and just destroy them on six rushing touchdowns is obscene. I'm, Mark Ingram, three touchdowns. Like, why I'm, I'm concerned about the Saints is sorry. The home if you get home field advantage against the Saints, we're gonna forget about 2013 when they beat us here. That was kind of a fluke, whatever. Like, this is not. This team is equipped just like the Falcons were to win ever anywhere. They're more balanced. They have defense. This is not the shootout Saints team. I am I'm very conflicted because uh, I know that you're educating a lot of people on the Saints, but 
we picked uh, on the on my other show the Saints to win the NFC South before the season. And we tried to explain to everybody that for the last few years, they've been building an offensive line while everyone thought they were a passing team. They traded Jimmy Graham for center Max Unger. They drafted Andrus Pete in the first round, who's now their starting guard. They went out there in free agency and they picked up a Larry Warford and a Streif. They went out there in the draft and took a Ryan Ramzik at left tackle. They have been building this for a while. They get Alvin Kamara in the fourth round, who's an absolute stud, or maybe a little bit earlier. But I even came on this show four or five weeks ago and said the Saints are for real, and no one believed me. And this is the funniest thing about covering sports, is that even when you're ahead of shit, once it fucking happens, no one fucking cares because now they're on it. And it's like I, I gotta like I I give of, you credit. You well, were no, no, ahead this of is, the Saints. I was on the Rams still and you were on the Saints. I give you well, credit. Here's what's really funny is Kyle, I hold no ill will to anything you just did. But I am someone that looks at their own self and I went, Why am I feeling like upset as Kyle is talking right now. Like it's, I have nothing against you. It was more of like, I'm examining why do I feel this way? I'm just going to talk about this later today. Cause I think it's fascinating. It's the, it's the notion of predictions. Like the only people whose predictions ever get big are if you fucking put them on the cover of sports illustrated and say that the Astros will win the world series in three years. Like how many predictions ever get fucking remembered? You know, like people, like I don't. Who picked? Who did Sports Illustrated pick to be in the Super Bowl this year? I have no fucking idea. I feel like I, I put my thumb in a sore spot. I just I well, put no, a no. vinegar on it and just touched a wound. Just my thing is more of I. It. My brain, Kyle, lately in sports media has gone to like I was watching all of the pregame shows yesterday, and I was by amazed. the way, the Sims always do Sunday night football. No, that was last night. I see. Yeah, I was gonna say it's uh, it's amazing what happens when you start getting other job offers. What your current employers are willing to do to keep you. <laughs> uh, so M- he's been working for NBC, and they were like, "We want you to do this." And uh, well, he's he been hit- doing Notre Dame with Tarico, right? Uh-huh. He's doing pregame. Uh huh. That's what you do. You cozy up to Mike Tarico, and next thing you know, you're on Sunday Night Football. Well, he hit me up. Well and he played. Was- he, he came into office on like Monday or Tuesday last week. He goes, so NBC wants me to do Sunday Night Football, but I have to be here. And I was like, Sims, you're not going to fucking be here. You're going to go to Denver. He's like, are you sure? I was like, yes, I'll, I'll figure it out. He's like, okay. I was like, you're not missing Sunday Night Football. Like, are you kidding? Um, the Saints, though, to, to your point, um, they're a really fucking good running team, and they like and the and the other thing is too, their defense is really good, and not just their corners, their front seven. Cam Jordan is one of the most underrated defensive linemen in the NFL. They took Sheldon Rankins in the first round last year as well. Their linebackers with AJ Klein have gotten really really good. Mm-hmm. They're a physical team, and I would say. Sean Payton is one of the top three coaches in the NFL uh, in terms of just drawing up new plays every week. So the thing that scares me the most right now about the Eagles competition, the NFC as a whole, is Sean McVay is the best play caller in the NFL. Sean Payton is the second or third best play caller in the NFL. 
And then the Vikings are just, they know who they are. Like they are, they're not going to compete offensively. I think in the playoffs, I think that whole thing is going to get figured out. I don't trust Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon that much, but their defense is fucking really good. So everyone has their own thing. And I think that I'm just being pessimistic Phillies fan, Philly Eagles fan, because I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop because the Eagles are are, the best team, but I'm just nervous. Well, and look, flip this around. If you're the Rams, oh shit, the Eagles are coming. Like for for them, yes. this is every bit as much of a test. And I, <clears throat> but I think the reason this bears talking about is, like we're, you know, I think people think like we're trying to be negative. And I, I guess I this is, for me is a sore spot because it's How not come? the case at all. Like we like they're genuinely competing for home well, field throughout the playoffs. Spot? Well, because because you can't talk about um, anything. Russ was on this six months ago. Eagles Twitter is slowly developing in the Flyers Twitter. Like, you can't even attempt to just keep it real. The good thing about Sixers Twitter, besides the process guys that are, like, really, um, you know, I spent so much of my life in Twitter. This is also part of it. But the process. if They're if you, willing if you, to admit, like, things that don't go well. Right. Anything yeah. other than the process. Like, obviously, if you have an anti-process take, you're done. But, yes, like, Sixers fans are able to give a high-level view. Phillies fans are able to acknowledge it, you know, when there's weakness. Obviously, there's been a lot. Eagles Twitter is getting very sensitive. And, like, people are tweeting me yesterday, and then I see, like, in their avatar, it's like a bird just squeezing, pissing on a Cowboy star. Like, there's some, <laughs> you know, and so you got to keep that with a grain of salt. But, you know, we're turning our sights to home field, and it's just we spent three weeks talking about, well, we just checked off the Packers. We're about to check off the Cowboys, hopefully. Uh, the Falcons, you could arguably say they should be checked off. But then they're, in the end, there's so much parity in the NFL that we always want to project last year's teams onto this season. And a lot of times that applies. Um, the Seahawks are always just kind of lying in wait without Richard Sherman. They've, they're probably going to become a less of a factor. They're certainly less of a factor. But we're forgetting that every year there is a one or two teams who surprises people. This year, there might be four of them in the NFC. Now, to your point, maybe the Saints shouldn't be a surprise to everybody. The Eagles are definitely a surprise. The Rams are a surprise. You hear last night on Sunday Night Football, think Al Michaels trying to kill time, but mentions, hey, maybe we lump Jared Goff into the MVP conversation. Get the fuck out of here. I agree. I don't. He's not there he's with not Wentz. He's on the same level. But, I mean, that's what I'm now- excited for, Kyle. When we fucking play them and they're on the same field, and you're like, wow, the throws that Jared Goff makes, like, guys are wide open. And Carson Wentz is like throwing people off his back on a sidearm. Like, he's, uh, it's so annoying, man. Robert it- Woods then takes it and runs 85 yards. That that's what I mean. It's like Carson Wentz is doing, it's just not the same. I, I, I get you. But, you know, I think, like, I think we've, I just don't want us to have that tendency because I remember the Panthers loss and the Bucks loss. And you go back to those conference championship games. You go back to the Flyers losing to the Panthers, right? There's always these these Southern teams that we don't, um, you know, that aren't in our region. They're not in our, like, right. general thought process that always seem to crop up and get Philly teams. And I guess I'm guarding against that because the Saints look really good. The Rams put up a ton of points again like they're they're good like their offense is is arguably the best in the nfl like they are you know it's just an entirely different team we see the rams on tv like, oh no one's at their game let's make fun of the rams I, the rams are really good um so i don't know like it's just it, it's going to play out with the rams 
But I, I have a real sore spot when you mention this and the Saints. People are like, oh, as long as you get home field. Like, no, to your point, like not not your father's Saints teams. I'm just not sold on Minnesota. I think that quarterback situation is eventually they're going to bring Bridgewater back. Maybe they wait until they pick up another loss and use it yeah. as an excuse to do it. But like a guy who's been on the shelf for a year and a half with an offense that already is I don't even like, think, somewhat I unreliable. Think stay with Keith Keenum. Even better. Because I think people need to look back at what Teddy did when he actually played and realize that he was like a 141 touchdown, no interception guy. Like he wasn't this great quarterback. Yeah, I know. Um, I would just say this of all the teams, it's they are the best defense. Their defense is fucking unbelievable. Yes. I think the Eagles' defense is second in that list. Um, but that's the thing, too, that um, it's funny. Whenever people talk about the Eagles, we talk about Carson Wentz and their ability to you know, score and, and all that stuff, and Jay hopefully adds another dimension there, too. But the Eagles' defense is the reason we are the record we are. And I'm excited to see if Ronald Darby comes back this week. I would love them to just destroy the Cowboys because I still am a little bit worried about how they're going to come back from the bye just because that's just me worrying. But I'll say this. I covered a team, Kyle, in Louisville. It was Charlie Strong's last year. And their schedule, they were in the American Conference. They were not fucking, it was not a good conference. It was before they transferred to uh, the ACC. And they had one good game on the schedule, kind of, and it was Ohio. And they beat them first game of the year. And every single fucking week, people would go in and they'd be like, Charlie, you're not that high on the ranking. Are you worried that if you don't go to a championship this year because your schedule's not that good? And every week you'd have to answer the question. And what I began to realize is that when you're expected to get to like the the BCS or whatever or any form of championship, you don't enjoy the fucking journey because you're constantly going, well, when are we going to get there? What are we going to do? Are we going to do it? And I've already had some people hit me up on Twitter saying Villanova fan. That's how I felt. Oh, really? Oh, because oh, you're number one, but it's like, no, no, how no. is this going to end for you guys? And it wasn't like that in the Big East, but now in, well, in the old Big East. Now in the current iteration of the Big East, right. like you could pretty much pencil Nova into the tournament, and it's like, well, what do we do when we get there? So That's I'm all. getting that vibe from fans, whether it's Eagles fans or other fans trying to troll, that are like, you know that you're going to blow it anyway. And this is what I'm doing, and if other Eagles fans want to do it too, enjoy Fuck the playoffs right now. We have an 8-1 and one football team, and I am truly going to enjoy all of these games. The last few years, when they weren't making runs, you know what I did? I enjoyed beating the Giants. And in, in New York City, I would hold it over Giants fans all the time. So I'm not, like, I'll look ahead at home field advantage and we'll do all that stuff, but when the games are on and stuff... All I'm focusing on is the games. I'm not going to be scoreboard watching. I'm not going to be worried about, oh, this. For me, this season has already exceeded my expectations. Yes. And I will enjoy that. And then when the playoffs come, I will focus on those games and I will evaluate the team for that. But right now, Doug Peterson, check plus. Can't believe he's doing that. Carson Wentz development, check plus. These coaches, I don't think we're going to keep... I think we're going to lose two of the three. 
of Jim Schwartz, John Filippo, and Frank Wright. I don't think we lose all three, but I do think we lose two of the three, which is a lot. So for right now, I'm going to enjoy them. This defense, fucking great. Can't wait to have Ronald Darby back. But I'm not going to let all these bullshit people on Twitter just be like, well, if they don't win a Super Bowl, it's a failure. Yeah, you know what? Go buy some groceries and leave me alone because I don't want to fucking talk to you. Yeah, I would argue that part, to me, as a sports fan, part of the excitement when you have a team this good is is the scoreboard watching. Because now you're not only invested in your own team, but you can turn on set-aside fantasy right. or gambling or whatever. You could turn on other NFL games, other high-level NFL games, prime-time games, and there's a team in there that has an impact to you. Like, I, I enjoy the hell out of watching, like, having a vested interest now in the Vikings and even the Seahawks. Yeah, like, if, I, if Vikings-Washington like was close, you'd actually be pulling for Washington. A hundred percent. I got you. for Washington for two weeks. My, uh, my, new, my new phrase, though, Kyle, is going to be, I want the Z. Because I know the newspapers are done. <laughs> but there was nothing better than when the playoffs picture started to come in. They still use that on the web. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and you get yeah. the X, Y, or the Z. Yep. X, you're in the playoffs. Y, you got to buy. Z, you got the home field advantage. I want the Z. The old, the old magic number in baseball. Yeah, give me the Z. I want the Z. Yeah, I agree with you. Which is, by the way, magic number has gone the way because now like eighty teams make the playoffs and it's a lot less exactly. clear cut. But yeah, I agree with you on the Z. Let me let me let me do something for you. Let me a little thought experiment here. Okay, <clears throat> I like this. I want you to tell me what what these this list represents. Okay. Okay. Bills, Seahawks, 49ers, Dolphins, Saints, Steelers, Buccaneers, Lions, Bears, Packers. Ravens, Browns, and Redskins. I don't have a good answer. Represents the the teams the Vikings have played this year. Read that again really quick. Okay. Bills, Seahawks, 49ers, Dolphins, Saints, ding, ding, Steelers, Buccaneers, Lions, Bears, Packers, uh, Ravens, Browns, and Redskins. What's wild, too, is the loss to the Steelers was the first game for Case Keenum uh, after the injury to Sam Bradford. Uh, And so that's one of their two losses. Mm -hmm. And it was the first game of Case Keenum. Their other loss, if you want to get really deep in the weeds to Detroit, is because that was the game Dalvin Cook got injured. So it's like the emotional, like I always think when a huge the player Dolphins, gets hurt. They lost 30 to 9 to the Dolphins. Wait, hold on. They only have two losses. I, I think you just read three. preseason also. I did. I did read preseason. You I read preseason. preseason. Yeah, because I, I was like, they definitely haven't played Shit. the motherfucking Dolphins. Shit. No, it but sounds, no. Now it's not as bad. <laughs> Do you know who the other team that, the other team, I'm going to make a left It's still not a tough schedule. It's oh, still not course. that tough. The win over the Saints was the first week of the season. When before the Saints, the Saints have hit their stride in a big way since then. Steelers second week of the season, so they've been rolling since then. But they've rolled against Bucks, Lions, Bears, Packers. I think that was still with Aaron Rodgers, right? On October fifteenth, not a hundred percent, not a hundred percent certain. Uh, hang on, I lost my headphones. You there? Hello. Oh, your mic fell out. All right, I'll keep talking. Um, 
yeah, so the loss against the Packers was or the, the win against Packers is still impressive. Then Ravens, Browns, Redskins. To me, it's just, you know, you could look at the Eagles schedule and find holes too. I'm still just not refused to be sold on the Vikings. Did you put your mic back in yet? It's not working. Beautiful. It's plugged in. He's messaging me. Okay. Um, should we just wrap? Just just send me a message. We should wrap. Okay. Adam says we should wrap. All right. Anyway, that's our show for today. Um, this is two shows in a row where we've basically just had no ending whatsoever. So, uh, But we got through an hour. Anyway, thanks for listening. We will be back on Wednesday to be more pessimistic about the Eagles' chances, which we are not being, but uh, just just some teams to consider and some teams to keep an eye on. Uh, Russell will be back Wednesday, I'm sure, to eviscerate Joel Embiid and Markel Fultz for something else. Anyway, for Kyle, Adam, Russ, and uh, yeah, just the three of us today, uh, we will be back on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.